Earlier, as we gathered on uh, Easter morning, we did so to remember the glorious event of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember this morning? We went to the tomb of the Lord Jesus and we saw that though the linen was there and though that burial cloth was there, that the body of the Lord Jesus Christ was not there, that uh, Jesus Christ has risen and he has risen from the dead. Well, tonight as we gather again as the people of God, it is to an implication of this resurrection of Jesus that we are going to turn, that in rising from the dead, that Jesus Christ has become not only a our Redeemer from our sin, but that Jesus has also become what Paul calls the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see the implication in defeating death and rising? Christ has ensured that you, as a Christian, will also rise. He has ensured that as a Christian you will rise to eternal life and eternal glory that awaits you. And to consider this great future that awaits the people of God, the plan tonight is just to look at those verses we read in uh, Matthew chapter uh, 22 and to think about Uh, I'll just throw it out there to think about three headings from this section of scripture. Okay, and what I want to do uh, slightly differently is give you uh, those three headings, give you uh, the points that we're going to look at through this. Okay, so in this section of scripture about marriage and the resurrection, we're going to consider, first of all, the ridiculing of the resurrection then we'll move into the relationships. You see how Jesus talks about marriage. So we'll think about the relationships of resurrection. And then thirdly and finally, we will think about the reality of resurrection. Okay, ridiculing of resurrection, then the relationships of it, and then the reality of it. So that's how we're going to approach these verses tonight. So, I would ask you to please turn with me to God's Word. If you've got the Bible there, please turn to Matthew chapter 22. And what is it from verse 23? Matthew 22 verse 23. Have that in front of you. Let's think about the first of those, okay? Ridiculing, the ridiculing of resurrection. All right, one, I mean, it's the kind of obvious thing to say, but one of the uh, main things that we've got to do when we're not in a sermon series like this and we're just sort of plucking a text out of thin air, one of the first things we've got to do or the main thing we've got to do is work out, well, what on earth is happening at this point in Matthew 20? What's going on at this point? And what we've got to realize is that this, what we've read, is taking place on Holy Week. So the verses we read, it's about the, the run-up to the cross. And at this juncture, what we've got is in the middle of a section where the religious establishment in Jerusalem, they're coming to Jesus, and they are giving him a series of tests. Did you see that? I mean, it's tests. 
and trials of the religious elite coming to him, and they are trying to catch Jesus out. And in that first section that I read, the previous sections of the one that we're thinking about, you've got this question about paying taxes. They're trying to catch him out, you know, speaking about Caesar and taxes. And then they're trying to catch him out when they're talking about marriage and heaven. And, and really what we've got to realize is that where that first section about paying taxes, that came from Pharisees. This section, the one we're going to look at tonight, it's a different group altogether that are asking Jesus these questions are coming to him. This is Sadducees, not Pharisees. It's the Sadducees. So first thing we've got to work out, who are these dudes? Like, who, who are Sadducees? What's going on there? To answer that, I want to take you back to the 1940s. And 1940s France, okay? Now, the way I see it is that in Nazi-occupied France in the 1940s, you kind of had sort of three groups of people. You could probably class people into three groups in, in France in the 1940s. You had people who just wanted to keep their heads down, you know? They didn't want anything to do with Nazis or what was going on. You had the people just, you know, head down, ignore it. So you had them. Then second group of people, do you remember the TV program, Allo Allo? Remember that? We had the resistance in France, didn't you? You know, the people who were trying to fight against the Nazis. You had them. Then, third group, you had collaborators, didn't you? You had French citizens who were actually supporting and were actually helping the Nazis. Think about that. It's quite a thought, isn't it? Well, it's that. It's the collaborators you've got to be thinking about when you were thinking about the Sadducees. Because these guys here were a small group, a religious small group. But these were guys who were aligning themselves to and were supportive of the Romans who were occupying Israel at this point. And, and, and Josephus, you know that guy that we talk about sometimes, you know, the early Jewish historian, he says because the Sadducees were like that, sort of supporting, aligning themselves to the Romans, he says these guys were not particularly popular. Right, the, the Sadducees, not a particularly popular group at all in, in Jerusalem. Now, the main thing, though, that we've got to get our heads around with the Sadducees is that they did not, and I hear this, they did not believe in life after death. You got that? They didn't believe in resurrection. They did not believe in life after death. And I think if we know that, that helps us to understand what's going on here. It helps us to understand this hypothetical situation that you've got in these verses about heaven and marriage. Now, here's the thing. If, you, if you're a regular part of this congregation, does this hypothetical situation that they bring to Jesus about marriage, does it ring any bells? Does it? If you've been here when we're going through the book of Ruth, does it ring any well, so what the Sadducees are talking about here with Jesus is what was called leveret marriage. Now, do you remember what that was? I remember how we dealt with it when we were going through the, the book of Ruth. I said to all the sort of married guys uh, in the congregation, I sort of said, uh, you know, how would you like the signs of this? So this is leveret marriage. Your brother dies, okay? And if you're part of the ancient people of God... Because of what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 25, 
It's your responsibility, ready for it, to marry your sister-in-law and to protect her and to have a family with her in order to preserve uh, your brother's name. Okay, so that's leveret marriage. That is what the Sadducees are talking about here when they are coming to Jesus. Now, wait a minute. Do you see what they're doing here? You know, they say, okay, well, what happens then, Jesus, if that brother dies? And then another one comes along and he marries the woman. And then, okay, he dies. And then the next one comes along and he dies. Do you see the question? The question is, well, wait a minute. When you get to heaven, whose wife, out of all these seven guys, whose wife is this, is this woman going to be? Do you see what they're doing? They don't believe in resurrection. They are scoffing at Jesus. And they are laughing at him. They are trying to ridicule him. They are trying to publicly humiliate the Lord. And so before we even think about seeing and considering how Jesus responds to that, we've got, to, we've got to look at this and see how this goes down. Because let me say this. See this. This could happen to us. We know that in the way that Jesus suffers, that his people are going to suffer too. So we have to pay attention to how this goes down. Because this could happen to us. This ridiculing, this humiliation... This could happen to us. So do you see what's going on here? You have got two religious groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now they hate each other. But do you see it? They are uniting here to attack Jesus. Now you've got the Pharisees, not the Sadducees, you've got the Pharisees. Now they believed in resurrection. There's not a peep from them. They are... Willing to see their belief ridiculed so long as Jesus is a... You've got people coming, think about this. You've got people coming to Jesus, veiled in respect, veiled in reverencing, master, teacher, and then launching this assault on him. Now think about this. Think about the devil in the wilderness. You have got people coming armed with Deuteronomy, armed with Scripture, taking it out of context so long as they can attack Jesus with it. We have to prepare for this. And I want to say this, we have to prepare the children of our congregation for this sort of assault and attack. And I want to ask you tonight, are you being ridiculed for your faith. In the workplace or in university or in school or amongst your friends, do you face abuse just now because you believe in life after death or because you believe in Jesus Christ as your saviour? Do you face ridicule for that? And I say to you, you must bring that to Jesus in prayer because he will give you the strength to endure that. How? Look what you have in front of you. He knows exactly what that's like. Your Savior has been there. Your Savior has gone through that before you. What we have here is the ridiculing of the resurrection. Okay. 
Let's move on. Secondly, let's get to the relationships of the resurrection. The relationships of the resurrection. Okay. So you've got the Sadducees. They come to Jesus and they've got this hypothetical scenario about marriage. Marriage in heaven. Now, uh, right, let's, let's get, let's consider Jesus' response to this. I was going to say because it gives us a glimpse into heavenly life. It doesn't, in some ways. It gives us a glimpse into what's not going to happen in heaven. Because look at verse 30. You have a look at verse 30. What does Jesus tell us? He corrects the Sadducees and he says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Say that again. <laughs> they will neither marry at the resurrection, neither marry nor be given marriage. What does that mean? Well, let's consider what it doesn't mean. Um, I know an elderly woman very elderly woman now, Christian woman in a church in Edinburgh, Scotland. Now, she was married to an elderly Christian man for many decades, long, long time. And, you know, that sort of almost sort of stereotypical, steady Christian couple very devoted to each other, very devoted to Jesus. The elderly Christian man got ill and then got very ill and the elderly Christian woman uh, nursed him through this and then he dies. Okay, And uh, she, uh, in the way that some elderly Scottish <laughs> women are, or people are, uh, she was very private about this whole thing. But you could tell, you know, uh, sort of week in, week out, seeing her at church, you could tell, like, she was devastated by the loss of her husband. You know, she loved this man. She had been with this man for, for so many decades, and she was devastated by this. So here's my question. When Jesus says here, there is no marriage in heaven, does that mean do you think that that woman will never see nor recognize her Christian husband again? Is that what you think? Do you think that? You know, when, when Jesus says at this point here that we are going to be like the angels in heaven in this regard, I mean, what does, what does that mean, do you think? Do you think that that means that there's, in heaven there's just going to be this sort of uh, uniformity? Is that what you think? Is it just going to be this sort of characterless or colorless existence? Do you think that we are not even going to know or recognize our Christian loved ones? Do you think that that's, that's what he's saying here? No. Surely, friends, we will see, we will recognize, and we will love our Christian family. And we will love and recognize the people that we've cared about, our Christian friends. Just think about Matthew chapter 8. 
You know, that, that picture that we've got there, and you have Abraham. We've got this picture of Abraham in glory, sort of reclining at the, the table in heaven. And who is he with? He's with his son. He's with his grandson. We are in heaven going to know and going to recognize and going to see our Christian loved ones. Jesus is not for a second here saying that, 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 that heaven is some sort of bland or existence. That's not what he's saying. So that's not what he's saying. What is he saying? Well, I think here Jesus is telling us about the increase and the escalation of loving Christian relationships in glory. Like, you see what he's doing? He's saying to the Sadducees, look, heaven is not just a sort of continuation of earthly life somewhere else. Sometimes we kind of think like that, don't we? We think heaven's just going to be the same. It's just going to be us ticking along as we're doing here, but just slightly better in a different location. And Jesus is saying, no. Heavenly life is different to life here. You know, here we need marriage. Marriage is a necessity here. You know, if we're going to procreate, in a family unit, we need marriage. And Jesus is saying, no, well, there is different. There you are going to see and know and recognize and love the person who was your spouse. And you're going to love them. Love them much more than you love them now. You will see them, you will love them, but what Jesus is saying here is that that love will extend to all of the people around you, to everyone that is in glory, that you will love every person, child of Christ, in a way that just now you cannot even fathom, you cannot even imagine. Listen to this. One commentator says this. He says that, that love, the intimacy that we have for one person, in marriage on earth, it is widened. It is universalized in heaven. Do you see, that's what Jesus is saying. He is saying to us that relationally, no eye is seen. Relationally, no ear has heard. Relationally, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for us in glory. We are going to see the people we love. The Christians that we love, we will see them. We will love them more. And that love will be extended. And you say to me, how is that possible? We are so different. We have so many differences. How will we possibly, how will we possibly love all of these people? And I tell you, it is because Jesus will be there. He will be central to everything. We will be able to care for each other because we will all be fixed upon the originator, you know, the personification of, of love. I don't know. Perhaps you've read these verses before about marriage or the lack of marriage in heaven. And it struck fear into your heart. I don't know, sometimes, especially when when we get married and this idea that we, you know, there's not going to be marriage in heaven. Perhaps it does strike fear into us. I want to say to you, 
It shouldn't. And as a, as a Christian, this idea should thrill us. Because what we've been told here is that you and I, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are going to a place of unparalleled love, an unparalleled unity and affinity with the people of God. We are going there. So the relationships of resurrection. Thirdly, lastly, Let's consider the reality, what Jesus says about the reality of resurrection. So you're with me so far? The, the Sadducees have come to Jesus. What Jesus has done initially, if you think about it, he's dealt with the sort of, he's dealt with the specific area of controversy, this idea of marriage in heaven. It's kind of specific. But really what Jesus ends with here, what we're ending with here is, is, Dealing with the real issue here. Do you see what the real issue is? It's the Sadducees' lack of belief in life after death. That's the big thing here. So, I ask you just to look at verse 29 in your Bibles. Verse 29. Verse 29. What does it say? Sadducees come to Jesus, this hypothetical situation. He says, you are in error. You are wrong. Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. You're wrong on this because you don't know your Bible. That's what he's saying. Because you've got, you got to understand that the Sadducees didn't hold to the whole of the Old Testament. So here's a small group of guys who believe that only the first five books of the Bible were God's word. They they believed that the Pentateuch, the Torah, was God's word and nothing else was God's word. And they were sure, these dudes, that there was nothing at all in those five books of the Bible that could anyway talk about resurrection or life after death. They held to the five books of the Bible. There's nothing in there about resurrection. That's accordance. See what Jesus does. Look at this. It's marvelous. To prove eternal life, he quotes scripture at them. But do you see where he quotes from? If, if you don't just look at the NIV footnote, right at the bottom of the page, where does he quote from? He quotes from Exodus. He quotes from the first five books of the Bible. Now, you know your Bibles, don't you? Uh, Better than I do, I'm sure. But you know what Exodus 3 is? It's the burning bush. And you've got Moses approaching the burning bush, and God speaks, and he says, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. Wait a minute. Do you see what what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is doing what so many preachers do, what I do all the time. Jesus is saying to the Sadducees, wait a minute, note the grammar in the original text. He's saying to the Sadducees, consider the tense. The tense of this. That Abraham had been dead for a long, long time 
But God doesn't say to Moses at the burning bush, I was the God of Abraham and Isaac. Jacob, consider the tense. He says, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But Abraham is still alive. Do you see the glory of this? That from the very beginning of the Bible, that the people of God are assured that we are going to rise, that we have it here in Exodus, that we have it in Daniel, that he says, those who sleep in the dust of the earth, they will awake. That we hear it in Isaiah, you're dead, you're dead, will live, their bodies will rise. That throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, we hear that in Christ, the people of God rise from the grave. And we rise to glory. But I want to close with this. There is something so beautiful here. There is something that is absolutely priceless here. Let's close with this. See here the glory of the covenant that God makes with man. I asked you if you were here when we went through the book of Ruth. And some of you were, a lot of you were. Probably most of you were here when we went through the, the book of Genesis, or most of the book of Genesis. Yeah, we, most people were here because we went through it for about, I don't know, it seemed like four decades we were in, in, in Genesis. You remember the series? You remember that that series was basically unpacking the covenant that God made with, with Abraham. You remember, even the, the boys tonight will remember, I know, I'm sure, what God promised Abraham in that covenant. What did he promise? If there was faith, what did he promise? He promised Abraham land. He promised him descendants. He promised him a great name. But wait a minute, wait. Do you remember what the essence, the heart of the covenant was? Do you remember what it was? God said to Abraham, he said in Genesis 17, I will be your God. I will be your God. Now consider what God says to Moses. What does he say to Moses? He says, I am the God of Abraham. You see what that means? That means that not even Abraham's death could disrupt the covenant that God has made with the servant. That nothing, not even Abraham perishing and going to the grave could disrupt this beautiful covenant relationship that God had with Abraham. Do you see how beautiful that is? Do you see how beautiful that is for you tonight as a Christian? That this God who loves you on earth just now, that this God who shows you such care, and he, he protects you, and he's so gracious to you, and there's this constant faithfulness of God. Do you see that not even you are dead? Nothing, nothing will ever come in the way of that relationship that you have between God and yourself and Christ. That he is And he always will be in the Lord Jesus Christ. He always will be your God. And because of that, 
Do you not stand back and see the immensity of this day that we are celebrating today? Friends, all of this that we're looking at tonight, all of it, the glory of your resurrection from the grave and the perfect interpersonal relationships that you are going to have with your brothers and sisters in Christ, this never-ending relationship that you are going to have with your God, that covenant relationship, all of that is yours and all of that is possible how? Because of what Peter and John saw in the tomb. Because though the linen was there and though the burial cloth was there, that Jesus' body was not. That he was risen. And all of this is possible if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. I ask you tonight, do you? Do you know the Lord Jesus as your Lord? Do you? If so, surely we can all say tonight with Paul, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because in Jesus Christ, you are God. And he is ours. And that evermore shall be. Let's pray.